Go ahead and open us in a, in a prayer, and uh, we'll be talking, we're kind of continuing our series on the hidden heroes. I like this one a lot. I hope you do too, but this is on the sons of Korah. Uh, so before I get into that lesson, I'm just going to start with this prayer. Um, what is that to you? When I say sons of Korah, do you know who they are? We're going to see how hidden these heroes are. Who are the sons of Korah? I'm getting a lot of shit. heads are going every direction right now. What book do you know them from? Good. Yeah, from Psalms. Okay. So this is actually, I learned something big on this that got me excited about this topic. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the sons of Korah. Just a minute. Let's go ahead and open with a, a prayer. Uh, God, I just want to come before you and recognize you. Um, I thank you uh, for the beauty of who you are. Um, the life that you've called us to and, um, and the service that you've called us to. I pray, God, that you'd speak to us, that this won't simply be a, um, uh, interesting or a class, but this would be something you speak to us through um, the sons of Korah and uh, through the message that I think you have for us here. It's in uh, Christ we come before you. Amen. All right, so I want to start by asking you this. I want you to give me an example of when somebody's asked you to do a, a task that you thought was beneath you. Um, and I know that's a weird thing to comment on because, you know, it can sound arrogant, but I mean, I, I've got a lot of examples of this. Someone's asked you to do something and you said, man, that's, I'm kind of overqualified for this one. Um, this is a little bit beneath me. Has that ever happened to you? And then I want to know your response and what you did. Yeah. Okay. So if you're a mom, that can't happen. What's an example of that? Okay. Okay. No more examples. <laughs> okay. Stuff that you're just doing, like, I can't believe I'm doing this, right? Okay. What else? Especially at work. If you have any examples of this at a place where you're working, where you're, I'm a professional. I went through years of college to get where I'm at, and this is what they're having me do. Is this happened? Give me some examples. Yeah, Chappie. Right. Okay. Because it's because it's dumb, right? I uh, man, I'm I haven't handled this well in my life because I was thinking there's a lot of examples of this with me um, working in churches where someone's asked me to do something. Uh, that I was like, are you serious? I don't know how many times. Um, one time the church was doing a big conference, and we had this big theme, and everything is lined out. They called me, and I thought they were going to ask me to speak. And they said, Jeff, man, we really need you to organize, organize the babysitting for us. And I mean, I remember I was so hurt, and I was like, I was sure they were going to ask me to speak, and I, I'm doing the baby? Okay. Um, that's happened to me a lot, you know, in my life, where you're asked to do something that your pride says, man, I, I don't know, that's just, I, I don't want to do this. Um, but I've also witnessed this. Haven't you seen this? I've seen some of the most successful people in their businesses joyfully doing some of the most menial tasks. I mean, just willing to do anything. And, hey, I'll be the one to take out the garbage. I'll be the one to do this. And they're in charge of this big company. They're doing all these things, but they also are totally willing to do the most ridiculous tasks, and they do them well. I've, I've heard uh, a lot of 
people say that one of the secrets to success, however you define success, is doing the smallest jobs well and learning how to give everything you've got to something that you might consider menial, that that's a big secret to success, is not treating anything uh, as menial. Okay, I'm going to come back to that point. Uh, But tonight I'm going to talk about the sons of Korah and who they were and why I consider them not just um, hidden. I think they're perfect for this. They're completely hidden. Most people don't really know much about the sons of Korah or that they exist. Um, But specifically that they are incredible heroes. And I'm going to talk to you about why and the message that uh, I think we're supposed to receive through them. So before we talk about the sons of Korah, I need to talk about Korah. Um, so Korah, I'm going to take you back to uh, number 16. And I'm going to kind of just read to you the story. Uh, I've taken out some parts of it um, just for time. But I'm going to read to you the story about what happens here. Uh, the situation is this. Moses has led Israel out. Um, God has called Moses to be a leader. Moses doesn't even want this. Moses tries to say, listen, I'm not the man. Choose somebody else. And then after God says, no, I've called you, Moses goes out and his leadership is attacked over and over and over again, especially in the book of Numbers. The first two that really assault his character and his leadership are his own brother and his sister. Aaron and Miriam are the first to kind of rise up and say, um, who do you think you are? Why did you put yourself in this position? He says, listen, I didn't. God has called me here. And now this is just after that happens. And I'm going to be in number 16. This is what the text says. Korah, son of Ishar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth. Okay, we're past the tough names. Here we go. They became insolent. And rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, who had been appointed members of the council. They came up as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? Moses responds by falling face down. Then he said to Korah and his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Now, check out what the terminology is happening here. They come to him and they said, Moses, you have gone too far with this. And he comes to them and he says, no, no, you have gone too far. Now, I want to ask you this. We're going to have a little bit of interaction when we get into this. What do you think is meant by that when he said they accuse each other of going too far? I don't know. I I have some ideas, but I want to see what you think that that that's supposed to. What message is in that? What y'all think? It is church politics, but what does it mean? If I said, Jason, you've gone too far. <laughs> Good answer. No, you've gone too far. You're overstepping your boundaries. You've, you, you've overstepped what we are okay with. You're setting yourself up as a leader. 
And I'm going to talk about what the what Korah was and the Korahites. That's what we call his kids, or the Korathites. That's what we call his descendants, the sons of Korah. I want to talk about their station, who they were, and what they were called to. It's going to be really important to this. So I'm going to continue the dialogue. This is what happens. I'm down in verse 20 now of of number 16. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, "Separate yourselves. Hold on to that. That's super important later. Separate yourselves from this assembly, so I can put an end to them at once." He says, all these people that have risen up against you, step aside. I'm about to annihilate everybody. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Now, those three names are important. These are the three head families that have risen up against Moses. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram. It just says these two. And the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything belonging to them or you will be swept away because of all of their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrance of their tents. Now, before I keep reading, I know that we're getting into some text. You're like, okay, slow down. What's going on here? It says three tents they were supposed to withdraw from. But it says there's two tents here. Um, Dathan and Abiram, they came out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrance of their tents. It doesn't say that about Korah and Korah's tent. Now, that is going to become important to the story. So they're all out there. Their family has stood by them. It's as though my dad, Richard, if he were here and he had said something horrible against the church and against the leadership of the church, I have a decision to make. Am I standing with my dad or am I saying, yeah, you're on your own uh, on this one? And you stand by their tent. You're saying, I'm with you. I'm going to this battle with you. I'm aligning myself with you. I am choosing you. And family chooses family. That's what's happening in this book. Except for this situation, it says, Only Dathan and Abiram, all their families, surrounded their tents. Then verse 28. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my my idea. If these men die a natural death, the experience and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive to the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. With their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions, they went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Now that story gets really intense and it keeps going. 
But that story is not my focus tonight. I just needed to give you that background before we get into the sons of Korah. So this is their history. But what's interesting is in that story, the people who rebelled and all of their family are wiped out. So why can we sit here and talk about the sons of Korah? Something happened. And this is what's interesting. In Numbers 26, it says, The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured the 250 men. And they served as a warning sign. The line of Korah, however, did not die out. So what's interesting is, We get two hints in this text, and we're going to pick up on this in the book of Psalms. But the first is this. In chapter 16, it says, Two of the families, all of their families surrounded the tent, and they were consumed in the ground. But it doesn't say Korah's family surrounded them. And here it says, Korah's line survives. Why did they survive? They stepped back. They stepped back and they said, I'm not going to have a part in what he's doing right here. Okay, now let's get into... uh, um, the sons of Korah, and why they would identify with him. Now, the first thing I want to tell you about the Korathites, and I'm just going to read you some verses um, that should make this super interesting. The Korathites were given one position. All of the sons of Korah, they were the gatekeepers. I'm going to read you some verses that talk about their position and what they were called to. In 1 Chronicles 9, it says, The sons of Korah and his fellow gatekeepers from his family, the Korahites, were responsible for guarding the thresholds of the tent, just as their fathers had been responsible for guarding the entrance to the dwelling of the Lord. Again, in chapter 26, it says, These were the divisions of the gatekeepers who were the descendants of Korah. So throughout the Old Testament, you find out that the Korahites, you know this about all the tribes of Levi, They had specific, unique positions in the temple. Some of them were of great honor. Some of them were able to, man, I'm going to approach God. I'm going to go in the Holy of Holies. I'm going to set the table of bread. I'm going to do all these things. The Korathites, however, were the gatekeepers. They were responsible for packing everything up and carrying everything, standing at the temple gates while their fellow Levites were able to go in and out of the presence of God and these kinds of things. They were stuck doing the gatekeeping. That was Korah's problem. Moses, Aaron, who do you think you are? I'm carrying the tent. I'm carrying the stuff. I'm a gatekeeper, and I'm just as privileged as you are, and I should be. So I am not content with my position. He rose up and he said, I am not content with my station in life. I'm not content with being a gatekeeper. This isn't going to work. Now, the sons of Korah... And I'm just going to share with you some of their psalms because they're super, super incredible. Uh, First, I want to talk to you about who wrote the book of psalms here. So David wrote about half the psalms. Um, Somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 85 psalms um, he wrote. I put 76 is what we're fairly certain of. The sons of Korah have only written 12 psalms. We're going to talk about some of those in just a minute. Now, here's what's interesting. Asaph, Jedith, and Haman... um, 12 Psalms, one Psalm, and one Psalm of Peace. I won't get into this because this would get into a super boring study, but my study indicates this, that those three that you just read, read about, Asaph, Jeduthun, and Haman, um, they actually are the sons of Korah. Okay, and so they, there's a lot of text that, could, that can bring us there, but when you read Sons of Korah, 
these were a part of that. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Haman were all descendants of Korah. Um, Samuel was also one of the descendants of, of Korah. His father, Elkanah, was like the grandson of Korah. And so this is all part of the lineage of Korah. You are the gatekeepers of the temple. All right, so, so far, that's the history. We're going to get past that. Now into the Psalms. Okay, so what that also tells us about the book of Psalms, because I think this is super cool. Um, really, you don't have this massive collection of Psalms by random contributors at all. Really, you have the Psalms of David, and you have the Psalms of his... They were his praise team, in a sense, that he appointed these guys to lead Israel in worship. Remember when David would write a psalm occasionally, and he would say, this is, have y'all ever read this? This is for Jeduthun. Some of y'all might remember that. That's in some of the psalms. This is for Jeduthun. What that means is Jeduthun was, hey, he's in charge of the worship. And so it would be like me writing a song for Sunday morning and saying, this is for Steve. Okay. He's the one that's going to lead us in this. So I'm going to write it. I'm going to give it to him and say, lead us, man. Lead us in worship. That's who Jeduthun was. He would have led David's psalms. He would have led Israel in this kind of worship, this kind of praise. So now I want to talk about what, what some of the sons of Korah wrote and uh, kind of why I decided to do this class with, with them in mind. Um, I'll skip that slide. No, I won't. Okay, I'm just going to read through Psalms, and these are just selections that are taken from Psalms written by the sons of Korah. I want to talk a little bit about what they write here and the themes that they choose. These are all things that you're probably familiar with. How about this? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throngs. Why are you downcast, O my soul? The reason that psalm means so much to me, we sing as the deer pants for the water, and that's from the sons of Korah. But check this out. These were the worship leaders. I used to lead the procession, man. I used to lead Israel into worship to my God. I was the one that did that. And now I don't feel it anymore. It's gone. And that's what he's, he's bringing out in that psalm. Now watch this. Psalm 44. For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The sons of Korah wrote that. Psalm 44 verse 25. We're brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, redeem us because of your unfailing love. I only included that one because I was thinking about the story of their Korah. Their descendants of Korah in that rebellion, and that was well known. It was a watershed moment in their history when they were swallowed up by the ground, brought to the dust, brought to the dirt. And that you see that uh, alluded to throughout the, the Psalms of the Sons of Korah. Psalm 45, your throne, O God, is forever in righteousness, the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Again, in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. How about this one? Psalm 46, 10. Be still. And know that I'm God. I will be exalted in the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Psalm 50. 
Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. This is what the sons of Korah wrote. Beautiful, right? But now I want to read what's one of my very favorite psalms. Um, And this is the last one. But this is one of my very favorite psalms uh, in the book. It's Psalm 84. And I just put in my notes a couple of selections from it. And I want to read more than that. So I'm just going to read from here. But if you don't mind, follow along with me as I almost fell off my stool. Uh, This is Psalm 84. All right. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Um, this isn't the emphasis of my class tonight, but I always have to stop on that verse because that verse, um, and I really mean this, that has transformed my life, that very verse. I want to tell you why. Um, When it says they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. I started to realize, um, okay, that that means, Baca is, is a word that means weeping. And so you're going through a place in your life where it's just dried up and it's dead. And it says these kinds of people transform their environment to a place of springs. And the reason this has meant so much to me is, um, I guess throughout my, my history with the church, and I've been the most guilty of this, and I know that, um, I complain a lot. At home, I complain a lot. Now, usually it's joking, but I do complain a lot about everything. Uh, it's too cold, it's too hot, I'm hungry. Why aren't you massaging my feet? Um, silly stuff. I, it's usually joking, but I think there's a little bit of seriousness too. I complain a lot. And I've, I've gone, what, churches that I go to, talks that I listen to, I'm so, so incredibly critical of everything. I am. And sometimes I think that's healthy, but a lot of times I know it's not. And I've, I've noticed it in my life that I've done this, and I've seen a lot of people do this, and I love Metal Ark right now. It's been a really healthy place for me. Uh, but being a youth minister, I've seen my kids go everywhere. I mean, countries, all, they're everywhere. And we talk a lot about how they're doing, and I, I know i got to get back to my topic, but this means a lot to me. And it's like we're sitting here saying, is the movie good or is the movie bad? How is church past the popcorn? I wish this was better. I wish that was better. But it's as though we are spectators. And, and, and we're no longer the, the gladiator in the arena doing battle. We're, we're spectators watching a show and hoping it's a good one. And, and what this says is this. When the Spirit of God is alive in you, you can be put in prison in Philippi. Uh, or 
or in right to the Philippians, right? You could be put prison in Rome. You could be put in prison at Colossae. You could be put in prison in all these places. And it doesn't matter because you can't contain the spirit and what he does in you and through you. You're going to put me in spirit in Philippi? Great. The Philippian jailer is going to be saved. Lydia is going to be saved. I'm going to, I'm going to reach people. You, you could put me in the darkest and most horrible of circumstances, but I'm not fed from the outside. I'm fed from the inside. Because the spirit of God is alive here. And I will transform an environment. I will not sit and just watch. I'll be a part and make an impact. And that's what he says. These kinds of people, they pass through the darkest, deadliest place. And they transform it to a place of springs. I've known so many people like that in my life. Full of the spirit and full of beauty. Um, And that really is important to who the sons of Korah are. They wrote that. But now you're going to see why they wrote that, I think, when you go on in the text. All right, so moving on, it says this. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. How about this? The gatekeepers wrote this. I would rather be a doorkeeper and the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing he withholds from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Man, I, I got chills when I realized the person who wrote, or the people who wrote, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Not only were they the doorkeepers in the house of God and their family was, but they're a part of this lineage, which the, the rebellion of Korah was over this exact issue. He would not rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. He would rather rise up and dwell in the tents of the wicked. And the sons of Korah had to make a decision about who they were with God's station and God's calling uh, for them in their life. So what I want to ask you is this. I want to kind of bring out some questions and then kind of get into what I think is the message here. Why do you think these people, generations removed, why do you think they identified with Korah? You have a lot of people in your family. If you were to go back in my family tree or your family tree, you could talk about people you're related to, that you're proud that you're related to them. I am related to Jeffrey Chaucer. Spelled, I'm named after him, spells his name the same way, never finished any of his work. That's what he's famous for. I could boast in that. I'm also related to Robert the Bruce, the guy that betrayed William Wallace. I didn't get William Wallace in my line. I got the one that betrayed William Wallace. More than that, I've got a lot of relatives that I'm super embarrassed to even talk about or show you their pictures. I've got some weird ones. If I were to say I am Jeff, I would probably say the descendant of Jeffrey Chaucer or something like that. I wouldn't identify with the one that I'm embarrassed about. So why are they called the sons of Korah? Why wouldn't they be called the sons of somebody else? These are the descendants of Korah, but they're also the descendants of Samuel. I mean, Samuel. Why did they list Korah? What are your thoughts? That's a hard question, so I don't know. but I've got some ideas, but I want to get your thoughts. Okay, remember where they came from, man, yeah? 
All right. I like that. Remembering this story. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to bury it. I'm going to say, yes, this is what happened. Right. What else? Mm-hmm. God defines me. My relative doesn't. I'm still alive today because that didn't define me, by the way. Because if the children of Korah had made a different decision, you're not hearing about this. You're not hearing about the sons of the other two parties, right? So they're they're, they're defined because of the decision they, that the sons of Korah made, right? I don't know anything else. Yeah, Daniel. Hmm. Say it again. I really like that answer. That crossed my mind. I was like, I wonder if they're not trying to redeem their family's name, you know, say, listen, no, that's not going to be what defines us. We're leading this nation in worship, right? Okay, so I like that. Maybe redeeming the family name. David? Yes. Right. Right. That's, and that's kind of where my mind camped, because I was really bothered by this question before class. I was thinking, why did they take Korah? And then I, it hit me, and, and I was thinking along the same lines you are, because they have a positive history. We're the sons of Korah. We're the ones that stood away from the tent. We're the ones that honored God above everything else. And so they have this history, um, great sacrifices they made. Um, to step aside and say, listen, um, blood, blood is not thicker than water today. I'm, I'm standing with God, even if it's against my own family uh, right now. So that was their history. It says this in Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Um, I realized how, what a theme this was in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament. Uh, and I've seen it a whole lot in my life and in the church today. I, I would get so excited about preaching when I was a kid. You know, when you're at church and we had in the South, we have Sunday morning church and Sunday night church. And if you got to preach, you were on that, that Sunday night crew, right? If you're a young preacher, you got to preach on Sunday night. Well, when I got older, I got really offended when people would ask me to preach on Sunday nights. It used to be an honor to me when I was a kid. Tamara was actually there for these things. I, I, it was an honor for me when I was a kid to get to do that. But when you get older, you're like, man, why am I on the B team? Well, how did this happen to me? You know, and all of a sudden, all the pride creeps in. All the junk creeps in, and all of a sudden, you're not, gr- you're not full of gratitude, and you're not doing your work as working for the Lord and not for men. Um, 
I was trying to find a good illustration for this, and I wish I could have found the movie clip because you would have loved me for it, but I couldn't find it. But I was asking Daniel of a good illustration of this concept in a movie, and when he said it, I thought, no, that's terrible. I don't see it. But then I realized, no, he's got it. It's the movie Elf. Have you all seen the movie Elf? It's amazing. Um, but you know the scene where they ask him, would you decorate the department store? And, and he's like, everyone else is like, ah, oh, i got to stay extra hours to make these stupid snowflakes. Man, are you serious? Buddy the Elf goes at it. And he makes the most incredible Christmas display possible. And he puts it out there and he just does it. And remember the next day, his boss is like, I'm going to get fired. Man, somebody's here after my job. What's going on? They're doing this. It's a great illustration of, man, I've been given the most menial tasks below me. There is no such thing as a menial task. There is no such thing. I will do this as honoring the Lord and not for men. Um, personally, this happened to me just recently. Um, and I never thought this was below me at all. I was super excited about it. Uh, but someone asked me to be one of the teachers for VBS this year. And they were super nervous that I was going to say no to teaching VBS. And, and I remember when they were asking, they were nervous about it, like, like I would say no. And I walked away thinking, why on earth would I say no to this? Because if you put this in perspective, I, I'm, I'm just being real about this. This is how I feel. These are God's kids. Put it, and you have this opportunity to share God's word with them. One of the earlier lessons that they will remember or not remember in their lives. And I have this opportunity putting it in perspective saying, oh God, let me do this with all of my heart. Let me pour myself into this. Don't let me come to church and say, oh man, I got another class I got to teach. Oh, I got another thing I got. I'm, I'm in charge of this. That is what Korah, that's what happened with Korah. The work became menial. It got old. It was busy work. I don't want this anymore. And he lost sight of what God was calling him to. And God says this, and at least at least one of his parables says this, man, if you're faithful and little, what? I'm going to put you in charge of much. If you're just faithful with a little bit, I'll put you in charge of much. This verse in Colossians 3.23, I think, really speaks to this. He says this, listen, we all have different callings. And the, the point of the church isn't to stand up and say, man, I should be, I should have the right, I should do it. And we have had done too much of that, I think. The whole point of the church is to say, listen, what has he called me to? What if I'm doing something that no one will see, no one will recognize? I'm just a gatekeeper that people are going to walk by. And the sons of Korah said this, ah, but you're dwelling in his house. You're standing in the very presence of God night and day. Make much of it. You know, um, pour yourself into this ministry. William Bennett uh, has a, uh, some of y'all know who he is better than I do. He's a politician, considered a pretty wise man, worked with Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, I think. He said this, there's no menial jobs, only menial attitudes uh, towards our work. Um, I really liked this one. This class, and I hope it meant something to you, but the reason this meant a whole lot to me, you're talking about Hidden Heroes 1, we don't talk about the sons of Korah very much. And you read, when you read their psalms, I want you to know who this is. I want you to know their history, their family history, and the beauty of what they were called to and what they were called out of. 
I want you to know that. But secondly, and probably more importantly, I really like the idea of what is a hero? A hero is somebody who joyfully, willingly, and full of praise takes the most menial task or something that doesn't seem like much and does a whole lot with it and makes much out of it. Um, I hope that you find, because we all have this, you find this application in your life, something that you're being called to, that you're like, man, this isn't me. But you do it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Anybody have any uh, closing comments or thoughts? All right. Yeah, go ahead, Daniel. Right. Why did you add this extra line? It's like also in auto make it play, you know. Um, but then I kind of realized like more often than not, when I try to think of things, the place of springs, I lose hope because it's not happening. Um, but I think what this verse is saying, you know what, like what we can take heart in, and like doing the menial task, keeping the gatekeeper, um, is that God is over the seasons. God is the one who's bringing autumn um, and the pools are coming as long as I just keep doing this. Even if I can't make it into the place of springs, all right. I've never even thought about that. That next verse, I'm like you. I always stop on the verse before. I don't even think about the verse after. So I love that. Um, closing illustration of this that I want to share with you guys because it kind of just happened the last couple of weeks. And then I'll close you in a prayer. Um, uh, but uh, the Sunday before last, um, I think it was, uh, we had, um, oh, remind me her name, was baptized after. No, not Nicole. It was Madeline. So Madeline was baptized, and the joy and the light that were in her eyes. The very next week, um, this last week, she brings a friend to church who also wants to be baptized in Christ. And I needed to go find Daniel. So I was looking for that, and I said, hey, would you guys, would you mind praying together? And just, would you pray? And she goes, yes, of course. And they were sitting together praying, okay? And the light and the excitement and the exuberance, and it reminded me of something that was the most amazing thing that has ever happened that I've ever witnessed in the church. And I love what Daniel said. I'm going to share it with you, even if he doesn't want me to. Um, I remember when I was a youth minister, I had a girl, Allie, and I've shared her story, I'm sure, several times. But Allie was the same thing. She came to church. She just walked to church. She wasn't a part of our youth group. She wasn't a part of anything. She just came on her own. And um, she had a horrible, horrible life and a horrible background. Um... And she lived in a crack house, what was recognized as a crack house. And um, it was just about two blocks from our church building. And when she was baptized into Christ, her life was set on fire, and a fire that has not gone out to this day. And she's a woman active in the church today, an amazing woman. But she had a fire lit in her. And she shared the gospel. She got excited. But I'm saying all this to say this. One time she sat down with me. And she just said, and she was crying. And she was just, I mean, we're just talking about eighth grade girls, something like that. Maybe she was a freshman at this time. But she said, I don't get it. I don't have the privileges that these kids have. 
I, I don't know the books of the Bible. I can't quote a single verse in the Bible. I don't know. I don't have any history. I don't have any background. But I don't see the excitement in people. It's like they don't get it. It's like they don't understand what God has done. And it's become mundane. And her life was just set on fire. And I remember her thinking that and crying that she thought, do people get this? If this is real. And um, what Daniel said to me the other day is, is exactly what went through my mind at the time. What if I go through all this work? What if I go through this, all this effort? What if I read book upon book about book about what I should be doing and should not be doing at church? And then God transforms the church by something I had no part in. That's humiliating. And that's how God works. And it's beautiful. Um, that he works in our weaknesses and he works despite us. And he smiles on our efforts, but he, he's pretty amazing at working in spite of us. Right, let's pray. God, I, I, I just love you so much. I love you for bringing in mm, just fresh energy and fresh life by your spirit. And I pray, God, that um, a lot of us have these tasks in life that can become mundane trivial, and it's because we trivialize probably what we shouldn't be trivializing, and we lose sight of how sacred it is, the calling that you've called us to. And I pray, God, that um, like the sons of Korah designated themselves as those that stood apart and said, we're not going to be a part of that. We are going to worship, and we're going to lead worship. And um, I would just praise you, Father, for their message, their heart, what they said. And I ask God that um, that that'll be us. That we'll be a, regardless of our heritage, regardless of our history, regardless of what it is, we'll be a people of praise. That your spirit would be alive inside of us. That we would know the joy that only comes by your spirit. And uh, ooh, the work that comes only by your spirit. And uh, I'm just I'm praying for that spirit that was alive in the sons of Korah to be alive in your body and your people today. I love you for speaking to me through that message. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.